Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, eh, let's introduce him first because I don't think we have in a couple of weeks. That would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. How's hey, it how's it going, everybody? I, I'm fantastic. <laughs> I ask how it's going as you're asking me how it's going. Yeah. It's one of those weeks. It's okay. I'm just like, I'm just excited. It's been a busy week. It really has. Um, anyway, so our second co-host, let's just get to the point here. That would be the other lore columnist over at Blizzard Watch, and that's Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello. <laughs> that sounded mysterious and weird. Then it was perfect. Okay, perfect. Wonderful. <laughs> Serious and weird. Carve it on my tombstone. All right. We'll make sure to do that. <laughs> So uh, this week we're, we've actually gotten quite a few questions in on the podcast email. Speaking of which, if you have any questions, email questions for Lorewatch specifically, you can send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just make sure that you put Lorewatch in the subject line. And we do take lore questions about all of Blizzard's games. So if you have a question about Diablo or a question about Overwatch or World of Warcraft, any of them, really, we'll take them all. We'll address them all eventually in due time. Speaking of which, we did have some Overwatch questions with this roundup, but um, we had so many Warcraft questions that I don't think we're going to have time to get to the Overwatch ones. So if you do have any Overwatch-specific ones that you would like answered, maybe we'll go ahead and do that next time, send those emails in. So, um, really, I think we could just kind of jump in here, guys, because there's no real theme with this week's set of emails. They're kind of all over the place, but I think we've got enough here that we'll be able to go off on so so many tangents. Um, our first email is from Easy Target. He's a 110 troll hunter on Oldaman. And Rossi, I think this one is pretty much for you. He says, what happened to Sourfang and Trollbane after the beginning of the warrior quests? Okay. Um, you're the first, warrior. Yeah, I'm, yeah, you're, have, you're the expert here. Well, I can tell you this much. Sourfang is fine. Uh, Sorf, when she, when you just to, in case people don't know what happens in the warrior quest, uh, when you get to Dalaran, depending on if you're Horde or Alliance, if you're Horde, then you get a summons to go out to Crassus Landing and talk to Sorfang. Uh, if you're Alliance, you get a same summons, but they they send you out to talk to Trollbane, Danath Trollbane, mind you. Um, that's important if you're a Death Knight. You're like Trollbane's in my class hall. No, no, Danath Trollbane. No, this is the one from from Outland, not. Yes. This is the one that we were first introduced to in in World of Warcraft ten years ago today, because yes. it is the tenth anniversary of Burning Crusade. Anyway, um, so you get out there and either Sorfang or Trollbane, depending on what faction you are, is like, oh yeah, we gotta we gotta get on top of this whole Legion invasion thing. This is bad. Uh, I, I don't like this. And Sorfang is like straight up, you know, I I, I if I'm gonna die and I'd like to die, uh, let let's go out there and die fighting the legion that'd be cool wouldn't it and you're like yeah i'm not letting you go get yourself killed by yourself so he's like okay let's go get killed together so you guys hop on some griffins and you fly out there uh on your way to get murdered by the legion you get attacked by the legion which is real rude of them in, in my opinion they should have waited till you landed but you get separated and either danath or sorfang is like i'll find my own way just get safe and you you leave them behind because they're not involved in the storyline past this point uh, it, it felt kind of shoehorned, Blizz, just saying. But you, you land, and there's a bunch of Vikings, and you go do Viking stuff and end up in the warrior class all. But f that's the last you see of either Danath or Sorfang. So they just wander off? like They're, they, they're they... being shot at, and they just kind of go in the other direction. It's like huh. 
you're on your Griffin, they're on their Griffin. We start getting shot at, and they you basically split up to make it harder for you both to get shot down at once. Oh, okay. And that's all you see for them for like. And 10 then it's levels. just Vikings. Yeah, then it's just Vikings. Uh, but then ten levels later, if you're if you're a, a like a warrior, if you, ten levels later, you get basically a quest. And this doesn't matter if you're Horde or Alliance. You you get this quest either way. You're, you're wandering around your class order hall with your shiny artifact that you've had for ten levels, and the the weaponsmith guy is like, "What an amazing sword! If only there were an axe as good." And you're like, "Um, okay." And he's like, well, "Tell you what, go find the greatest axe wielding warrior, and bring him on up here so I can stare at him." And you're like, I, I, okay, I, I can do that. So you go down, and sure enough, Sorfang's still on Crassus' still in Crassus' landing, still staring at the Legion, going, "I really should have got killed that last time." And you're like, uh, "Excuse me, Mr. Sorfang, sir, could you come up to my floating palace full of giant Vikings so that one of them can stare at you?" B- beg pardon. Uh, uh, that what I said. That again. Okay. This sounds kind of weird. So you're gonna have to beat me up before I l- agree to this. Okay, sure. I, I've got the arena up there and everything. So you go up and you tell your giant Viking smith, oh yeah, uh, Sorfang's totally okay with you staring at him for a while if I punch him in the face a few dozen times. First. I gotta go smack him around a little yeah. bit first. So so just you just hang on. I will go punch the greatest axe-wielding warrior in Azeroth in the face a few dozen times, and then he'll be okay with it. And so that's what you do. He then gets stared at by a Viking for a while who then makes you an axe. So that's 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 all there that happens. So we know that Sorfang's all right. I assume Trollbane is all right as well, but I don't have evidence of this. Like I've he not doesn't seen pop him. up anywhere. He's not even like I even went and checked like Wiki and Wapedia in case I'd missed something. No, nope. uh-huh. he just that's the last you see of him is him going. I'll find my own way back. And he just evaporates. Yeah, that's the last time. So if he's dead, he died off camera. If he's alive, I assume he's alive because they wouldn't kill him like that and then not, just not tell you about a it. A troll bane? No. Yeah. They're gonna if they're gonna kill him, they're gonna make a big deal out of it. So yeah, I assume we he's know. fine and just off somewhere, po- possibly having adventures in the Broken Shore all by himself. That would be great. If, Maybe like, we'll after- run into him again in uh, seven point two. Yeah, it would be nice. No, not seven point two. Seven point two is Tomb of Sargeras. No, yeah. it is seven point two. That's the one where we go back to the Broken Shore. Yeah, maybe he's down there like working with people. I don't know, but right now he and around. So that's that's all I got for you. I'm sorry that I can't tell you. I don't know why we don't get to punch him in the face for an artifact appearance, but you know, uh, I guess Sorfang is the lucky recipient of a beating. Well, uh, to be mm-hmm. fair, Sourfang was kind of like legendary before. Yeah, and it, what's really hilarious is that the axe that they make for you. Is essentially a a riff on the Arcanite Reaper. It's called the Arcanite. Um, it's the Arcanite Bladebreaker. Right. And it's it's very much an Arcanite Reaper 2.0 type thing, but he's using the Horde Axe. Oh yeah. He's not using an Arcanite Reaper, so it's kind of funny. Well, maybe that was just somewhere in his noggin, and uh, they dug it out of him when they were staring at him after the, you punched it. Yeah. Warrior class hall stuff doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Is what I'm thing. gathering. Well, there's the best part is when he's doing it. He's like, I can see by the nicks on your axe how you use it, and it's like sitting there going, okay, yeah, that's great. Could you hurry up with my artifact appearance here, man? This is time, time to waste. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's how you get the hidden act, the uh, hidden artifact appearance for arms warriors is by slapping Sorfang down to 50% health, and then okay. he's like, all right, fine. So I'm still kind of like wondering if Sourfang is supposed to be the orc horde leader. Like the faction mm-hmm. leader just no. for the orcs. And I don't no. think so. He's coming off very much like he's trying desperately to get killed. 
Yeah. Like, every time he opens his mouth, it's like death by death in battle is the only honor, and I wish it more than anything. Like when you talk to him as an alliance warrior, he's like, I see no reason to make your alliance stronger, but the Legion is our true foe. How may I assist you? It's like you know, <laughs> it's like he's being extreme. He's like Sorfang dialed up. Wow. He's, he, this is a dude who is ready for his rigs. This is a guy. Well, you he's know, been to be fair, he's been kind of ready for it ever since Ice Crown. Yeah, but he's that whole ready. that whole bit with his son with Deathbringer Sourfang and everything on the frozen throne, I you know, that kind of defeated him and it was reflected in later books and I believe it was Tides of War, maybe? It was oh. either Tides of War or it was the the shattering prelude to cataclysm. No, nah, I wanna say I wanna say You're talking like when he came back and he had that whole thing about how they were gonna just leave him up there? Yeah, yeah. When yeah. they 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 went to that, they went to uh, Borean Tundra, like the 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 port on Borean Tundra, and he was there, and he was like, "No, I want to stay up here. That I don't want to go back with you." That was shattering because it was Karen who. who yeah, started. that's right. Okay, it was shattering. I was trying to remember. I was trying to remember what the heck happened, like why that, they were showing up there. But yeah, yeah, it was. He was kind of like. Yeah, I think I'm kind of done with stuff now. And it seemed like it was appropriate, but now he's back again and kind of back in the thick of things. And it sort of makes sense to me that he would jump back in, particularly if he wanted to die, because he would want to die some kind of honorable death and sulking to death. Well, not sulking to death, grieving to death up in Northern just doesn't seem like his style. No, he's he's definitely trying to get himself whacked. What's trying to pick to me, a fight. That yeah. seems his style. <laughs> What's interesting to me, though, and I don't want to like take too much longer on this question because we have lots of other stuff to talk about, but yeah. if you've done the Death Knight class campaign, you find out the, fan, the final fate of Galen Trollbane, yeah. which is essentially Galen's gone now. He's not even there as an undead anymore. Nope. Galen's gone, um, which leaves with, with Thoris Trollbane sort of a Death Knight now. By the way, spoilers, I guess. Um, that means that Danath Trollbane is the only heir left to Stromgard. Uh, he is it for Stromgard. Uh, if there's ever going to be any kingdom there again. Unless Lothar left a kid somewhere we don't know about. Yeah, which would be great. but that, That'd haven't... be cool, but yeah. yeah, I don't think that that's likely. Danath is the only heir. He's the, he's the heir to the Igneous of Strom line. Yeah. That actually Not that there's Stromgard. much left there for him to take hold of, but oh, it'd be but... cool to see him try. Just saying, Miss Stromgard would like to see it back again would be cool if anybody at Blizzard is listening. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next question. Our next question is from Sivis at Alex Raza US who says, Hey guys, long time listener with the question I hope hasn't been addressed. You mentioned a few episodes ago that Sargeras probably doesn't delight in our pain and probably doesn't even care. With that in mind... Who is aware of Sargeras's ultimate motive? The Architrad's final boss says that his masters can't be bent by the Legion, and when we kill Ilganoth and um, the Emerald Nightmare, Malfurion says that Xavius's masters delight in our distraction. In game, does anyone other than Sargeras know his true purpose? Do you think he ever told Archimonde and Kill Jaden why he started the Legion? Regards, Sivus. And Joe, I'm going to go to you first because. We I just talked for like 10 minutes. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Joe, well, do you think that Archimonde and Kill Jane, do you think Sargeras has actually like filled him in on this planet? Oh, no. Not even close. No? Like, I, I don't think... It's one of those... So, I don't know if Sargeras 
lets anybody know what he's planning. It's just, hey, I could destroy you, so you're gonna go do what I say. So go do this, this thing over here. This, this is what I need you to do. Don't, don't worry about why. Just, just go do it. it. That's the way it strikes me. Because if that was the case, we would have hints of it elsewhere. Um, like even with like the comment about like Xavius and stuff like that. Don't forget that Xavius serves the old gods at this point. He doesn't serve the Legion. So, you know. That's a completely separate thing. Yeah, the old gods, we know what they want. They want they want our suffering. They want us corrupted. They want us to to basically fester and, and become part of whatever they have. At least that's the impression that they give you. So, Garrus, we know he wants Azeroth. That's it. Like, we don't know why. Ultimately, like, we have ideas from, like, Chronicle, but in-game, we don't know why. Uh, we don't know. There's no indication that, you know, Archimon and Kil'jaeden know why he wants this thing just that he wants this thing at least that's what i see i don't see anything that hints otherwise what about you rossi oh um well first off sargeras doesn't justify himself to those who serve him no he doesn't have any reason to well, the closest I get he gets the feeling to that... that like he he's pretty much so self-absorbed at this point that like He's, I mean, he's almost... just sitting on a bed, like with a picture of Azeroth and like a picture frame, just gently stroking it. Like that's what he's doing with his time. It's like the Wolverine in bed meme thing. Exactly. <laughs> so lead Sargeras with Azeroth. Yeah, like seriously, Sargeras. I mean, first off, we're not entirely certain that Sargeras has any direct control of this invasion anyway. Because the last time we saw Kill Jaden, he was saying things like, "I will do what Sargeras could not." You know, he was pretty clearly positioning himself as leader of the burning Legion. uh whether or not that's kind of an i'm gonna take over sort of thing whether or not that's still the case i mean for all we know sargeras has since reasserted control but th that was the thing that we had at the time so it's possible sargeras isn't even involved but even if sargeras is involved he doesn't justify himself um the closest he came to justifying himself is when he tempted people to doing his bidding with a promise of power but it wasn't even power he was going to give them it was power that they would come through by serving him. It wasn't like he was going to just make them powerful. He was just going to expose them to fell and send them on their way, and they'd be powerful because they'd be on the winning side. This is not a guy who cares why you do what he says, just, just that you, you do, do what it, he yeah. says. And he certainly doesn't care to, to let you in on his big thoughts. Like, he started all this whole thing because he was so convinced he was right, he killed the people he knew best. I don't know? think it's so much that he doesn't care to let you in as it is... I would even you're insignificant like yeah, you're, exactly. you're a speck why do you even matter you don't matter let me put it this way um you have a computer right yes how often do you that tell would your computer... be why i'm talking to you yeah. right now actually. How, often, <laughs> how often do you tell your computer why you're doing things on it um i talk to my computer a lot actually oh. just because i don't but have do a lot to talk to you here dreams with your computer it's very way. it's very scotty and star trek for hello computer situation hello computer yes Yes. No, but my point is still valid. You don't tools don't. I don't get expect you to understand. I'm just talking into air. <laughs> tools don't get explanations. Tools no. don't get you know complicated motives statements. So now I don't think Sargeras goes around justifying himself or explaining himself or reasoning with anybody. Why would he? It's not like we could comprehend things. <laughs> We're just these little puny things that yeah, like, are there to like carry tell, things out. I don't tell my eyelash mites why I'm taking a shower. You know, no. it's just, I just do. And if they get drowned, whatever. Gross. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm just curious, like, particularly with Xavius. Xavius has always kind of struck me as weird in this expansion in particular, because 
he was created. I mean, he's a satyr. He was created by Sargeras. He, his his form was given to him by Sargeras because he As failed. A yeah. he, he failed Sargeras, so Sargeras was like, "Yeah, I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to make you into this freaky deaky monster, and you're going to do all of this stuff that I would like you to do. Thanks, bye." And Xavius was quite the willing servant of Sargeras. I mean, he liked his new body. He liked what it afforded him. He liked passing it around like the plague to all the other night elves that really wanted a fancy new demony body and then somewhere after the war of the ancients and after his defeat at malfurion's hands he got touched by the old gods kind of in the same way that ashara did um and they sort of sucked him in so when we see all of this nightmare stuff come up the emerald nightmare stuff in um the novel storm rage if you haven't read storm rage that's what it's about it's about the first nightmare war the one we don't see in game but it did definitely happen and that's why malfurion was back in cataclysm um there there's every implication that okay he's a servant of the old gods now which which that makes sense right it puts him in the same spot as ashara is presumably in as well Yet at the same time in Legion, there's this kind of like overlap going on where is he working for the Legion or is he working for the old gods or is he pretending to work with the Legion while he's working with the old gods? Does the Legion even know that he's affiliated with the old gods now or did they just assume that, hey, oh, you know that one guy that we made really weird? Let's go talk to him again. And he said, yeah, sure, I'll play along. I mean... What's really going on with Sargeras well, or, or with uh, Xavius? And we know that Xavius is dead now, right? Yeah, but doesn't it goes back even to to Warlords, right? Because when when Archimonde came through and we fought Archimonde and beat him and got the we got that weird bit of corruption that we turned we took turned in for our Grove Warden. You took it to that, Moonglade, yeah. Yeah, that came from Archimonde, mm-hmm. and it was directly linked to the Rift of Alm. Very clearly, he was in contact with Xavius. Yeah, and that means what? I mean, we don't know what it means, well, but definitely it means you see you see Legion demons helping the Nightmare. Like when you go to the the Garden of the Moon and it's under attack by the by like the, the Nightmare. There, yeah. There's there's a big old demon straight up saying, you know, your puny world will burn. And it's like you know, yay Nightmare all over the place. Just let it devour. Yeah, and so it, there's it, it, is it a case of the Legion trying to play the old gods off against? Azeroth is a case of the old gods trying to play like the Legion off against Azeroth. Is it Xavius playing both ends against the middle? That's what I, I don't think. know. That's uh, where I... my money is because Xavius always struck me as an opportunist, right? Well, he's kind of a clever guy. Yeah, and, and he's. I mean, we can never we never question his intelligence and what what's better than having two powerful forces battling what you, basically for what you want, which in this case is, you know, whether it's the complete downfall of all remaining elven society or you know, just taking as much power as he can, even if the Legion isn't like his paymaster anymore, they're useful to him and saying, hey, there's powerful stuff down here. You guys remember me? Yeah, I, uh, I I messed up once. I did. I totally I got that. I, you know, I understand. I'm sorry. But listen, there's a bunch of powerful stuff here. And if you guys come and take this specific thing, it's really going to help you in your campaign. While you're doing that, I'm going to be over here. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what I'm doing. It's, it's OK. It's cool. I got this. I'm just like going to be here hanging out, doing my own thing. Don't don't worry about the, the satyr in the background or behind the curtain. It's it's fine. Like, that's the type of person he strikes me as. Like, that, that, eternal, that eternal opportunist where, 
the Legion invasion is a very useful tool for him to get extra power and um, basically on the field, because we also know that while the nightmare is spreading, the nightmare hasn't spread as quickly as one would expect something so powerful would have. Right. Like it's taken over a decent chunk. Uh, but if you're a druid and you're going through like the dreamway, it's only one small section. You know, it hasn't infested anything else yet there. It hasn't really flown too far across Azeroth. It's still pretty concentrated in, in the grand scheme of landmass. So if the the nightmare is so slowly moving and slowly creeping, like it looks like a legion force that kind of helps take the pressure off of you while you keep doing your infection thing seems really handy. Now keep in mind that part of the reason, and I mean, this is all Druid class hall campaign, but the fact that the nightmare was present in the dreamway was a really big deal. And the reason it was a really big deal is that the dreamway has portals to every continent on Azeroth pretty much. So if the nightmare had taken over the dreamway, it would have instant access to the outside world. That's yeah, you, that's you why you that. wanted to get rid of that as soon as possible. You even see that in the raid because it takes yeah. you to multiple corners of Azeroth while you're fighting the various creatures inside Which, of it. By the way, non sequitur, if you guys haven't done this yet and haven't felt the 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 urge to do it, listeners and you guys alike, if you do the uh, the Dragons of Nightmare, those portals work, all of them. Yeah. And it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of accidentally go through one. Yep. It, it's pretty great. <laughs> and they open up into little pocket like instances like they don't actually take you to the real world but like they they actually took the time to craft instances that link up to those portals mind blown right that's great i think that part of the reason they did that is because it is used in some of the artifact questing isn't it i think so yeah um okay well our next question doesn't actually have a name attached to it but that's okay. We'll read it anyway. It says, hey, watchers, I'll try to keep this short. I was thinking about how certain races have changed dramatically after they embraced the Legion and became demons. And I started to wonder if all races have their own demonic forms if they were to do the same. The Eridar became demons, which are very different looking than their Draenei cousins. The Night Elves became satyrs. And I'm sure there are other examples of this. But there are several races we have not seen in demonic forms. So I was wondering if it was reasonable to assume that those forms might exist. Is there some potential demon human or maybe a demon troll? If these might exist, do you think we might see some people within the Alliance and Horde completely turn traitor and become demons? I'm curious what you guys think. Thanks. Well, I mean, you, you see it with orcs. Yeah. Orcs actually go through multi-stages. Like, they start out, they're just orcs. They turn green. But then you put more demon essence, more demon blood into them, and they start turning, like, brown, red, you know, like, reddish-brown and get growing Spikes huge fangs. And... Yeah. And then beyond that, there's also the uh, blood elves. Um, if yeah. you remember, like, when you were doing the original, since we were talking about Burning Crusade a little while ago, when you did the original, uh, you know, Sunwell stuff, uh, if they get exposed to enough fell, blood elves start getting, like, weird wings and turning, like, all sorts of colors and getting fangs and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's actually, which is interesting because they, they were also pretty do that. Great, actually, also, those are some also, amazing models. <laughs> it's similar to what happens to the Eridar, though, too. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also similar to what happens to Blood Elves when they become undead. Because when they become undead, they they turn into the Sand Lane. They get fangs and wings and start, you know, doing vampire stuff. And it's much the same when they're exposed to fell stuff. They get fangs and wings and start doing vampire stuff. What was the difference there? Because the thing is, is yeah, you have the Sand Lane and they're undead Blood Elves, whatever. But you also have undead blood elves that are death knights that are much yeah. more run-of-the-mill variety of undead rather the than is, crazy vampire be, undead. Yeah. 
Death Knight seems to be a specific kind of undead. Like mm-hmm. it's okay. It's like you you have to actually have your soul ripped out and then put back in and bound to you via like a very specific kind of necromancy. Because you keep hearing about how the in order to stay as a Death Knight, the whole suffer well thing isn't just a joke and it's not just a slogan. They literally have to endure and cause suffering. They have to like you know make people hurt and hurt themselves in order to keep going. Where it's it's like the Sand Lane are more literal. Like they're literally drinking blood. Like that's what they do. Whereas an undead blood elf or an undead, you know, at any death, death night, it's not blood necessarily. They need it's pain. They need Suffering. you to hurt. Yeah. So hence the suffer well thing. But it's, it's, it is one of those things that always makes me wonder, like you've got, we are just to talk again about demons. Night elves become satyrs because of a specific thing. Sargeras did. Like you mentioned, Sargeras made Xavius the first satyr. He slapped him into a demony form and the thing is is it's apparently very communicable because some satyrs apparently went to live on zoroth because the zorothian satyrs when you do the like warlock things yeah there's zorothian satyrs and if you go to i think it's winter spring yeah maybe that was the form that uh sargeras borrowed to slap xavius into maybe or maybe they moved there who knows but that seems to be like that's not just what would happen if you expose night elves to fell that's specifically a form he created. So it's not the same thing. It's it's weird because you've got demon hunters who are so far just elves, like but they're both blood elves and, and night elves. Well they got and horns. They've got horns and you know they've got bit of demon in them too because they have to go through that whole thing Illidan did. That whole right he came up with, not what happened to him. But it's just it is weird and I don't I don't think it's it's as predictable as okay they'll all turn into X. Yeah, and I would agree with that because we see there there's definitely different levels. There's definitely different uh, effects like we've seen demonic torrent at this point too and like for the m- lack of you know what we haven't seen it progress further than they get glowing green horns but they still look very much like torrent um you know there there i don't i agree with you i don't think there's a very cut and dry formulaic approach to insert fell get this it's more sort of like kind of like teenage Mutant ninja turtle style like exposed to the ooze and see what happens maybe so yeah, it, the thing is, is the Eridar become demons. I don't think the Eridar aren't very different looking from their Draenei. No, icons, the, are they? no, they get red skin. Uh, their horns definitely get different uh, formations, and occasionally they get like demonic bat style wings, and yeah, they like, get they they get like fell hooves with like the weird crackly hoof things. And the ones that are like the most famous of them, uh, Kill Jaden and Archimond. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Archimond, you could almost not even tell was a demon. If you know, compared to a, a, a Draenei, he's still blue. Yeah, he doesn't look that much different. I mean, the only reason we we thought that that's what demons looked like until we saw the Draenei. That's why when we saw the first time the Draenei are seen on Azeroth, the elf that sees them thinks they're demons. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she doesn't. So I don't know if you can say the Eridar really change all that much. I mean, they do change, obviously, but it's not like for them. I think it's much more of a mindset, and that they they turn their natural ability with magic towards the fell. Here's my question. Are these creatures being turned into demons or are they just being fell corrupted to the point where they've got some sort of physiological change going on? That's that's a good question. Does does like you know Xavius was very clearly his essence, well, what remained of his Xavius, soul was slapped into something else. So well, that, that was, was very much yeah, that was a curse, it was a transformation, whatever you want to call it. He was one thing, he died, what was left of his essence was shoved into something else, and that's how that happened. So when he corrupted the other night elves, 
they kind of transformed well, because that's just what they did. And what's interesting about him, too, is that they make mention that the curse of the satyr can actually be transferred to other races besides elves. Right. And and when you look at the Draenei, what happened to the Draenei, what turned them into Eridar was, you know, they just agreed. They they straight up agreed. They were like, yeah, sure, we'll go ahead and do that thing. With the orcs, they were tricked into it, and they were told to consume fell blood from a demon, and that kind of corrupted yeah. them to the point that they transformed and got the spikes and got all that other stuff. But it, with orcs, you'll notice since it keeps it, it goes on a progression, it feels like to a certain degree they have to actually start embracing it and right. be willing to let it keep happening before it gets worse. Like you don't get a chaos orc just by drinking the blood once. And with the blood elves, with the blood elves, I mean, you could argue that all blood elves have some low-level form of fell corruption because their eyes turn green. Well, yeah, because but they, they were didn't go on... any farther than that. Yeah, because they were feeding on like demons that they had trapped in crystals, weren't they? Like even like when you went to Silvermoon, when you were starting off, yeah, you was, rolled your first blood elf. That's what they were. What they were it doing. It was Kalthos. Kalthos went to Outland to find a cure, and the cure that he found was here. Take these things, feed off of them. It'll it'll help that whole magic addiction thing. And people started doing that, and all of a sudden they started showing up with green eyes. It was never quite to the the degree as the orcs, maybe because they showed some sense of self restraint. Or but they were there just were afraid that, to feed too much. Yeah. yeah, and I was gonna say there were others though. There were others that completely like took over and ate it until they could have no more of it. Some of them turned into the wretched. Some of them turned into those crazy fell elves that are over on Sunwell Plateau. They all changed as a result of that. So I guess I guess my question is where exactly is that turning point from? Oh, I'm not a demon now. I am a demon. Yeah, well, it certainly seems to involve some sort of like deal. Yeah. Because you don't like just a pact or something. You don't just turn into a demon. Um, with demon hunters, they actually go out and eat a demon. Yeah. Like they they straight up rip one's heart out <laughs> and eat it. They pull and, a Daenerys. <laughs> yeah. But with um, I don't know, it, it, it's interesting. Honestly, humans seem to be the most resistant because they're the most. I don't know how to put this. Like humans make deals with demons all the time. You get warlocks that way, but they don't seem to go any further. Which is interesting considering, like, you look at Vykrul and see what happens to them when they get exposed to, like, fell-ish things. And yeah, we see that they, yeah, well, yeah, they, they, and they start to transform like that. Like, if we're, humans are descendant from them, why, what makes them so resilient? It seems the curse of Slash? Or maybe, or maybe it's not even necessarily that they're resilient so much as they just too selfish. Like, humans are incredibly self-absorbed on Azeroth. They're very much about themselves. Like, you know, that's how they rose to power. They basically said, Little mini okay, Sargeras's. what can, yeah, what can you do for me sort of thing? So who knows? I don't know. But I don't think it's as simple as people turning into demons. I think that has to be a deal. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I'm just, I'm, like I said, I'm kind of curious because it seems like various creatures did various things to become demons and various creatures, other creatures made deals with the Legion or they were tricked by the Legion, but they didn't necessarily become demons because those fell orcs, they aren't demons, are they? They're not classified as demons. No, no, they're, they're still orcs. They're no, still orcs. They're yeah. still orcs. So somewhere along the line, something has to happen. I'm just wondering what that thing is. I'm thinking, I'm also wondering if Gul'dan has crossed that threshold. That's a good point. I don't know about him. Because, I mean, obviously... He's got some pretty obvious transformations already. Well, yeah. he went kind of whole hog and said, yeah, give me Manoros blood, I'll chug that. It's great. And he grew all the spines and things. So 
there's evidence that he has physically changed, but I don't think he's classified as a demon. Not in game, anyway. Not to my knowledge. I don't know. It's a good question. But uh, Archimonde did say something about a pact to him, so yeah. it makes me wonder. I feel like the Gul'dan thing is basically just carte blanche for them to bring him back whenever they want to. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is okay. All right. Uh, our next question is from Janisar, who is a troll death knight on Kazgaroth, who says, Hi, guys. Really enjoy the podcast. My question is, is the entire world of Sanctuary in the Diablo universe perhaps the result of the death of a Titan? The mythos of the series is that a great pearl, is that a great pearl, quote unquote, existing alone in the void within was a, within it was a sleeping consciousness named Anu. Once this being emerged, seeking perfection, it purged all of the darker aspects of itself, which created a dark creature named Tothamet. These two opposing forces killed each other. Their bodies formed the realms of heaven and hell. From their residual life force in their bodies, that's where the angels and the demons came from. He says, is it not possible that this could have been a lone titan, a colossal being born out of a sphere floating in the void? We've seen the life-giving, altering properties that Titan's blood has. Could not a corpse give rise to an entire race? I'm also intrigued by the recycling nature of these creations, much like the demons of the WoW universe. There seems to be a lot of parallels between the two. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Thanks, Janisar. Rossi, it's Diablo. Oh, Talk yeah. about it. Well... <laughs> The similarity is because it's Blizzard. Like, it's the, many of the they same people. They have parallels. People. Yeah. The yeah. Whole, I, I think part of the reason why I find Overwatch so intriguing from a story standpoint is it's not like anything mm -hmm. they've ever put out before. Yeah. It's, now, in defense of that, I would say that, I mean, in real life creation myths, there are a lot of similarities absolutely. That, that they all have. So. Yeah, well, the, the Yanu, here's the thing. If you don't know much about uh, Gnosticism, and it, or especially Manichaean Gnosticism, the Anu Tathamet thing is basically a version of Zoroastrianism, where you have the, the, the ultimate creator of the universe is an unthinking, unfeeling being named Zervan, who is essentially just time. And Anghur Amanyu and Aramazad basically, Ormazad and, and Anghur Amanyu or Araman basically rise out of the existence of time as equals who fight each other. And one is, you know, the corrupting, you know, forces of the world, and the other is pure spirit and good. That's what they're essentially riffing here. They're using Anna and Tothamet. Anu and Tothamet are from, you know, older mythology. They're Sumerian. Um, Anu and, and Tiamat. That's basically what they are. But mm -hmm. Anu and Tiamat in Sumerian religion were actually mates, and they weren't fighting. But that's none of that's really important. The the important thing that I'm sorry, I'm an Apsu. My my bad. Anu was in fact still our enemy. But anyway, the the whole point here is that. Yeah, it's similar if you squint. And I'm not trying to dis discourage you because that kind of stuff's fun. It's really fun to sit down and just come up with like all the ways they, they could be similar and work it all out. I mean, heck, Anne and, and I have made kind of a career out of doing that. So I'd feel bad telling you not to do it. But <laughs> I, I don't I don't think that the Titans are big enough here. Anu was everything. Literally, the only thing that existed was that pearl. And that pearl was Anu. It wasn't just that Anu was in it. That Pearl was the entire universe and Anu was in it and he was of it. it, it it's when he, you know, if you read the book of Cain, when he sheds himself of all his dark impulses, when he throws them forth from his existence, he essentially creates the first thing. Nothing existed before that, but Anu it's, it's very, um, it's very similar to Kabbalah, the idea of the Yain Sofar, the kind of a bummer that the like, first thing that he created was something unfathomably evil. So, well, yeah. you know. But it's sort of a classic riff on that, too, because he did mm -hmm. it by seeking yeah. perfection. He, he's attempting to, you know, make himself perfect by 
ridding himself of everything negative and vile without the con- the comprehension that without negative things you can't have positive things before he rid himself of his negative aspects there, there was no variation in anu anu was everything and therefore nothing you couldn't distinguish anu you couldn't say anu is x because anu was also y and y and x are completely contradictory there's no way to, to say what Anu was before that point. Anu is just so much more vast than a Titan. A Titan exists in a universe that already has worlds. There were no worlds in the in the cosmos of Sanctuary before mm-hmm. Anu destroyed itself by fighting with Tothamed. There was nothing. There was because there was everything. There was limitless potential, but no actuality. Nothing had been actualized. In order to make something exist, you have to make a choice. You have to decide. I want this, and therefore. All the other things it could be are now not going to be there because you've picked something. And that's the, the, the interesting thing about the Anu-Tathamet fight. You're essentially wiping each other out because you're entirely antithetical to each other, but each couldn't exist without the other. And that's the whole counterpoint. If you go through the whole thing in Sanctuary, the whole reason that the, the Nephilim are so powerful is that for the first time since Anu ripped Tathamet out of himself and, and basically split himself into two beings him slash herself because gender didn't matter before that point uh for the first time since that happened beings exist that are equally good and evil that have both the spark of 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 the pure and the the taint of the corrupt in their being which means they can make choices angels and demons can't really make choices that demons are evil because that's what they were made to be angels Mm. are good because that's what they are and good and evil don't really even apply to them because they don't make choices. That's what you see. Like when 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 Tyrion makes the, a choice, when he decides to fall, he becomes mortal. Because only mortals have that. That's the thing about the, the logically speaking, platform. he can't be an angel anymore. Which is, period. That always struck me as weird, though. Because no, it's how... actually perfectly fitting if you're going with a Manichaean setting. It's well, actually it exactly fits the Anu Tathamet divide. Okay, he but has- let Joe finish what he was saying. The reason that it strikes me as odd is because of how the story of the creation of Sanctuary with Inarius and Lilith both going against their prime directives to create that pocket dimension and as a result Nephilim which was a choice. They made a choice that was counter to their directives. Except so here's the thing. How do they make that choice? How do they how do they create sanctuary? They basically, well, if I remember correctly, as lack of a better term, they kind of got it on. No, they make sanctuary by finding the eye of Anu, the last piece of Anu from before its destruction. And when they're exposed to it, they can do things they can't otherwise do. They can do the impossible. They can make an entire cosmos with its own rules. Sanctuary has different rules than heaven and hell. And, and purgatory. Purgatory is, in fact, the wound created when, when Anu and Tathamet kill each other. It's interesting that when fighting in purgatory, which is that giant wound, that's when angels and demons start to get off the bend. They don't ever have that problem when they stay in heaven and hell. But when they go to purgatory, that's because purgatory is ever-shifting. Purgatory is ever-changing. It is a giant scab over the original reality that doesn't exist anymore. And its heart was the world stone, the eye of Anu. And it was only through the constant eternal conflict over that object that you start to see angels and demons changing. And what happened to Malthiel? He went to the, the Purgatory Fortress, the, you know, the, the, the keep. It's when he started studying the World Stone that he began to change. And it's when they took the World Stone that he started getting morose. And it's when they destroyed, when Tyriel destroyed the World Stone is when he broke. 
because only through the world stone can they touch the original Anu. But we, the, the Nephilim that you play, touches the original Anu by existing. Because, because you have, you're both. Yeah, exactly. It's actually really fascinating, but it's too big to just be some Titan. Titans aren't big enough to be an entire universe. Mm-hmm. They're worlds. That, that's still Which pretty Which is big. really, I mean, it's really kind of funny, too, when you think about it. Because when you look at it scale-wise, our player characters in World of Warcraft are so infinitesimally small compared to something like a Titan. And that whole fight that the Titans have going on, what we're doing with our own little individual lives on Azeroth is so insignificant compared to that. And the Titans and what the Titans are doing are almost like humans to Anu. Yeah, like in that aspect, they're they're like so small as to be insignificant when compared to Anu. Anu is just like this gigantic, all-encompassing. And plus, you know, just to state it for the record. Blizzard's IPs, they don't really cross. They have similarities, but they don't really cross. So StarCraft, some people like to say that StarCraft, oh, maybe it's what happened to World of Warcraft way in the future. No, that's that's they're two separate IPs. It's the same thing with Diablo and World right. of Warcraft, two separate IPs. But, I mean, if we want to conjecture it, though, everything that you guys have been saying is absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, feel free to, like, you know, you can look at the similarities, you can totally play with it all you'd like and for that matter i mean you've got heroes of the storm so if everything wanna, comes together in the nexus yeah, if you want to if you want really bad to have you know diablo run into a you know paladin you can have that happen there you know there's here's uther hell uther and diablo are on the same team actually really yeah yeah we're, we're totally fighting uh arthas and thrall and um jim rayner right now that that's an interesting team yeah but in terms of how the diablo universe works the 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 eternal conflict is the scale of it is all of creation. It's not just one little world and sanctuary itself was created basically to hide from that, that eternal conflict because the angels and the demons can't like the only place where they could come together and in peace was either purgatory. And that's because Lilith was really sick and tired of things. And so was Anarius again, because they'd been exposed to the eternal conflict for so long. They'd been, you know, fighting in the shade of the eye of Anu or on sanctuary where the rules are different when they're they're actually in their heaven and their hell they're all like you know imperius is not unusual for an angel and his attitudes aren't unusual like they don't the angels don't think much of us because we're part demon and we're puny mm-hmm. yeah exactly <laughs> except for teriel who apparently thinks that we're pretty pretty neat which is again that's that's just a weird thing for him to be thinking um teriel's story in particular it it just yeah it's a little weird where it's like he does that one thing and then all of a sudden he's cast out of heaven and he knows that it's going to happen, but he does it anyway. And he makes that choice. It, it just, it makes me wonder like, could the others make that same kind of choice and would the same thing happen to them? I think it would, it depends because the reason that Tyrion made the choice was because it was just, yeah. And he was locked into that because he was justice. That's like he said, you cannot judge me. I am justice itself. That's true. Yeah. Imperious. His flaw was that he is Valor, and that's all he is. That's why, you know, he got angry at Diablo and struck him down when it was the absolute wrong thing to do. He couldn't do otherwise. He couldn't stop and be wise because he's not wisdom. He couldn't, you know, do the just thing because he's not justice. They have to work in a council because if they don't, that's when things break down because each of them is just one thing. I, I think a lot about Diablo. I'll get the book of can around here. I've been <laughs> Joe, do you have anything to add to that? No. Rossi pretty much 
I mean, he got everything. There's not much I can really add to that. <laughs> All right. Uh, our next email is from Whitehand, who's a prop paladin on Mel on Midorian US, who says, Greetings, watchers. In the last episode, you discussed character arcs that ended too soon, such as Vol'jin, Fandral, etc. You also expressed your disappointment that Rathian's story was not being pursued. It's not yet. Maybe it will at some point. We're going to keep our hopes up here, dude. Anyway, uh, Whitehand says, In that vein, what are your favorite story threads from prior expansions that currently remain underdeveloped but absolutely must be told? We've been given some tantalizing information for some of these, such as Alaria, Turalyon, and Moira. Personally, I would also love more information about what the Bronze Dragonflight is up to currently or how the new Lich King is doing on the Frozen Throne. Thanks, Whitehand. Um, Joe, do you have any plot threads that you want to see addressed? Honestly, my favorite stories from way back when uh, have either been transformed or um, quickly summed up. Like I don't the talking about Burning Crusade. Um, there was that whole blacksmithing quest thread where you know you had to find this lost blacksmith in the middle of nowhere to forge these weapons, and yeah, there was no next steps. That's never been addressed, really, not really. Like, I, I, I believe there might have been, like, little snippets here and there that kind of, like, explained it away. A lot of the people were like, it's Ashbringer. It's got something yeah. to do with Ashbringer. And, <laughs> and that was a lot of the theorizing back then is that, it, you know, it had to do with the original creation of Ashbringer and everything else and, and bringing it back and reforging it. And, and, and it was such a cool concept that didn't go anywhere. And it was a cool concept because it had spanned the entirety of classic WoW and now led into burning crusade and then stopped. And I always wish that they had done more with that because one of the, one of the things I like uh, when it comes to books is I like when there's a large series of books is common themes that, that pervade throughout them or like one thing that it, it happens over a course of a few books where, you know, you get the full breadth of the story. There's a lot more to discover. And w- at this point we've had so many expansions, so many opportunities for it that I really wish that they'd go back to some of those older stories like that and sort of let us discover them again and let us kind of bring them to completion. Um, it's kind of like the original Varian stuff uh, before everything happened with the comics and everything else. The and missing diplomat, diplomat. yeah. Yeah, the missing diplomat. And and when we were had to go to the island and you had to, you know, you had to go through this whole fight on this weird, like, camp thing. And it was... There were all these cool little things like that that involved you to do investigation, go to different places in the world and get different things. And they really felt involved. And while we, it's gotten better, I don't think anything has ever captured the feel, of, particularly those two quest lines to me. The missing diplomat chain was one of those chains that I think everybody was kind of frustrated with because it was pretty fascinating. You you found out, you know, you started the chain and you didn't find out until about halfway through that, oh, I'm looking for King Ren. That's who I'm looking for. And then you get to Theramore and there's some stuff in Theramore and then it just, it stopped. It stopped. And Jaina said, yeah, I'll be in touch with you. And then she never was. So like nothing happened there. And then it ended up being resolved in the comic series, obviously. And at the beginning of Wrath of the Lich, well, end of Burning Crusade, beginning of Wrath of the Lich King, all of a sudden Varian showed up again and suddenly he was there and there was nothing in game to kind of indicate what had happened. And there was nothing that the player really got to do to make that happen, which I thought that was kind of a pity. Um, 
Especially after putting all that work into it. Yeah, I know. And I was so invested in that quest chain, too. Um, that one and then all of the chains, obviously, that involved the Emerald Nightmare. I found all of those fascinating, but those kind of got resolved out of game. And I, we're getting to kind of get a look back at it in a way because they brought it forward and we get to look at it in Legion now. But it's not quite the same thing. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, for one thing, all the people that were involved are dead. Yeah. Like, Aranicus is dead. Fandral's gone. Yeah. Long gone. Fandral's long gone. And he's still one of those characters that I regret. Agreed. That we didn't get to see all of. Because I feel like like there was a lot more that could have been done with that. I'll tell you straight up. The one character I miss the most out of that kind of thing. Well, first of all, I'll say... Just to answer this question, we, if we want to know what the new Lich King's doing on the Frozen Throne, play a Death Knight and Legion. Yeah, the Death Knight, the Death Knight class chain actually addresses that. So um, yeah, it's quite it's quite packed with new Lich King. If you uh, if you just want like a taste of it to see what it's like to begin with, um, roll a Death Knight like just a test Death Knight, make them frost, and do the artifact acquisition chain because you'll find out a lot of stuff almost immediately. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, one of the characters that I, when they introduced this character in Cataclysm, uh, they introduced this character, and I was pretty charged up for her. Uh, and then they basically dropped, they basically dropped her down a pit. They didn't use her again. They they killed her off in Cataclysm, and she's been gone since. That character's Leara, the uh, the flame druid who was Fandral Staghams. Yeah, yeah, his daughter-in-law. And the reason I liked her was because a she continued Fandral's story in a way. Like you got to see the effects of what happened to him from another person's perspective. She definitely personified what I feel like has to be more addressed in the story is that there got to be some night elves that are tired of Tyrande and Malfurion because look at all the stuff that's happened to them since like the in the past decade, decade and a half since since you know since the third war and since malfurion and tyrande were both like yeah let's just go ahead and join up with this alliance thing that'll be swell well it's not even like the joining of the alliance thing is bad but it's nothing compared to when malfurion comes back at least when it was just tyrande they were in the alliance and that was it yeah now that malfurion's back we're being firebombed by the horde but we just stand here and do nothing because neutrality and the thing is is like as far as that went, you know, in World of Warcraft originally, when it was just Tyrande, even with just Tyrande, there she had her detractors, and Staghelm was one of them, who was yeah, absolutely. You know, I he was like, relax. "There's a reason why we live alone in the woods because we're better than these people." And I don't know why you want to reach out your hand and suddenly be friendly, cuddly, cozy with these people because all they're doing is making things terrible and. He had a point. He he did have a point. Do I agree with that point? Not necessarily, because I think that, you know, the Calderay have gotten enough out of that alliance that they're okay. But he did have, like, a legit point from the standpoint of a night elf who's been alive for 10,000 years. To a night elf that has been alive for 10,000 years, our race is a bunch of babies. The yeah, human race is a bunch of children. We don't even get any older than 100 we're so puny. Like, why would you want to ally with that? Why would you even think that they were wise? They haven't been, they, they can't even live long enough to get smart, you know? So, so there's that, there's that element that Fandral had 
that made perfect sense and it was taken out when he was removed. And I know we've discussed Fandral in depth before. Well, that's, what, that's like what I'm saying about Liara. Yeah. She, she allows that to be moved forward, but from a different character. From a different character, yeah. yeah. And what I liked about her was that, you know, her anger is immediate. It's not, you know. Oh, absolutely. His, his, his anger is my son died 9,000 years ago and I've never been the same. Hers was my my child died now. Actually, yeah, I don't remember. The War of the Shifting Sands was 1,000 years ago, right? Yeah, it was 1,000 years ago. Yeah. His son died a thousand years ago, and he's still not over it. And that's certainly understandable. But she had moved on. She had managed to – she got over Valstad as much as she could. She didn't remarry or anything, but she had her daughter. She was raising her daughter. Fandor was like, I'll always protect you. And so you know, she, she had that guarantee. And then what happens to her? They lock Fandral up. The orcs firebomb her home and kill her daughter almost immediately afterwards, especially from a night elf's point of view. Like it's only been like what – Fandral got locked up at the end of – you know, he was like, you know, the end of the like, wrath, right? Because they moved into Cataclysm and that. They'd yeah, it was. Story. It was. Yeah, it was in between wrath and Cataclysm. So it was like a very, very short period of time. So he gets locked up and almost immediately the orcs firebomb, uh, you know, Stranar and kill her daughter. And then he gets out and he's like, no, I understand your pain. You know, I do. I understand exactly how you feel. And she was my granddaughter. I, you know, I mourn with you. Let me help you. I can show you how to get past this pain. And she's like, how? He's like, revenge. Revenge will do it. Trust me. We'll burn them. We will burn them all. They will pay for what they've done. And she went for it. And I totally was like, this is the beginning of a character who can haunt the game for years. Because she'd like, if this one doesn't work, if this plan doesn't work, she can do something else. And then they just killed her. And I was like, oh my god, do you not know you have a perfect, this villain could come back over and over again, and you just killed her, and now we don't, now we've got nobody. This is why I'm so afraid they're going to, like, drop the ball on Maiev and turn her into a villain and kill her. Because he's, like, you need these characters who don't go along with, like, what everyone else says is the, the right thing, way to go. The thing that kind of bothers me about Maiev right now is Maiev seems to be being written off as, oh, no, she was just, you know, doing her thing. We're just going to gloss over the fact that she tried to kill Malfurion yeah, I, I and not write, think about that. I think I wrote a KYL about that fairly recently where it's like, what yeah. is the deal here? Like, do, do, do the wardens just not care? Like, like, well, yeah, whatever, Malfurion. Okay, so anyway, um, going back to the question at hand, story threads from prior expansions that need to be told. Where is Lillian Voss? What yes. happened to her? Last time we saw <laughs> oh, her was yeah. Miss, wasn't it? Last time we saw her was in Skullamance. Yep. So technically Mists, although I don't know if it's considered to be part of the Mists. Right. Chronologically Mists. But the so. last time we saw her was in Skullamance. And we left the room. Theoretically, she was dying. But when we came back, there was no body or anything. She was just gone. What happened to her? She was fascinating. She was super fascinating. Um, I kind of want to know what happened to her. Uh We've also, I think we've discussed this on the main show. I don't know if we've discussed it on Lore Watch, but uh, Magatha Grim Totem. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've discussed her. Yeah, she needs to come back. W where is she? Because last time we saw her, she had um, a pretty powerful artifact in her hands that did some crazy things with the elements. And you would think that that'd be kind of important, but we haven't here's, seen her again. Here's a character that we know is alive because of Legion. Uh-huh. But we haven't seen her doing anything other than being in Legion. V Vanessa Van Cleef. Yeah. Like, we know she's alive, so she survived the end of, of, you know, when we were blowing up the dead mines. She survived that. Which was pretty so, cool. Pretty cool thought. So she's out there. She's got her own agenda. 
it doesn't coincide with any of these other groups. What what is she doing? What is she planning? I want to. There's more of that. Um, obviously we're getting to see Eladon, and some people aren't thrilled with it, so I'll mention that one too much. But there's, I I I honestly, what I really really want them to do, what I've wanted them to do forever, is deal with Lothar. Because the last time Lothar, you know, he died on top of that mountain, and we've talked about the influence he's had has been in other stories, but he himself, like. The movie, in a way, kind of ruined this for me. It made it worse because the movie showed that he had family. Oh, yeah. He had a sister and a son, and the son died. And, you know, if if his sister was Varian Rin's mother, which, like, she was in the movie, if that's the case in the game, that means that Anduin Rin is Anduin Lothar's last remaining relative. Which would be pretty cool. It would be interesting because it makes him like the, the it, he does have a claim on every human kingdom now. He actually gets the, when he calls himself the High King of Stormwind, it's more than just a, a he's not just saying that he'd have a right to consider himself at least possibly High King of Humanity because all human kingdoms descend from Strom and the Strom that they all descend from is that bloodline. It's Lothar's and bloodline. You know- I'm I'm a proponent for keeping the movie universe separate from the game universe because, you know, it's sort of like with Marvel movies versus Marvel comics, that kind of there's there's a separation there. There are parallels, but it's two separate things. And I'm I'm a fan of that when you're talking about movie adaptations and things. But if there's one thing I would like them to bring in from the films, it's Taria. Taria yeah. is yeah. Taria Lothar. You know, yeah. like bring her in we and, last finally get to see Varian's mother in some fashion. Yeah, actually and, get and to I mean, exist. you know, obviously, obviously she's not alive anymore or anything, but a memorial to her, some sort of acknowledgement that she was there, some sort of thing that places her in the canon of the games itself would be cool. You know what I would love to see, too? Um, I miss Caverns of Time instances, and I really liked those Caverns of Time dungeons just because we got to take a look back at like the the pivotal moments of Azeroth I would like to see one where we witness that last fight that Anduin Lothar was in with him and Turalyon and you know in the second war I I would love to see a Caverns of Time with that particular period of history because we haven't seen that yet if nothing else it would establish finally what the actual canon of it is because Warcraft 1 and 2 have variant endings yeah like, they do you know, so it would be nice to actually say what are you guys going with here what happened when blackhand fought lothar did blackhand just plain win There's... did blackhand cheat um because in the in the if you play it as orcs he just wins yeah but if you play it as alliance he cheats he he has people ambush lothar i'm gonna be flat out front if blackhand and lothar actually did meet in a straight up fight blackhand would have died in about five freaking seconds yeah no chance <laughs> Didn't have a prayer against Lothar. So I think he did cheat because he's the backstabber. Even Absolutely. his own people call him the backstabber. He'll so. take he'll take an advantage where he can get it, even if that would be an unfair advantage or a dishonorable advantage, probably. Dragons? Um, sure, I'll, I'll, you're <laughs> I'll use that. Dragons? I'll use yeah. whatever. Just go ahead and hand it over. We'll make it work. Uh, yeah, it it's one of those things where it's like, uh, particularly with the caverns of time, they kind of open themselves up to doing these dungeons. Like they don't have to be; it doesn't have to be like a full expansion. Oh, we go back in time. 
cough cough warlords anyway it just has to be like an instance like a dungeon that you run through i really liked uh the dernhold keep one because it was a reflection of the story that was told in lord of the clans and you kind of got to look Mm -hmm. at that from a different perspective um we don't really need like a whole hey we should know what's going on with the infinite dragonflight or whatever you know motivation behind it we just need a hey this timeline might be kind of wonky can you go take a look at it Obviously, that's our job now. That's our job. Because the Bronze Dragonflight, when we finished Cataclysm, they lost their powers. And it was up to, we're like in the Age of Mortals. So why not have like the Time Walkers bring them in, have them say, hey, we need you to go fix some stuff. Because there's, there's a bunch of periods of history that would be fascinating to see. Um, the original war between the Troll and the Akir, I would be down with seeing what happened with that well, especially since chronicle definitely makes that sound like it was way different than it originally. was and, yeah. and cool you know <laughs> yeah. it's like it's just it's stuff i'd like to there's, see there's there's priest thing i haven't like gotten ch- too much chance to go into it but one of the priest things is about uh, how like you know remnants of the black empire basically caused that whole war yeah um and one of them is like there is zaka jaws who's the one that you who gets killed by by um Oh, Lordy. Uh, I can't remember his name, and he gave me Stromkar. <sighs> Thoradin. Yes. King Thoradin kills him with Stromkar. But he was only one of three. Right. There were two others, and one of them basically ended up... The entirety of Zul'Gurub is based around that guy. Yeah. Like, the, the, the you know, so there's tons of stuff going on. And there's, there's you know, there are other cool historical moments, or just moments from earlier games that would be cool. Like, it would be cool to go into the Caverns of Time and and play through that whole scenario where Dalaran is under assault back when it was still in Hillsbrad foothills. That would be awesome to see like Antonidas. <laughs> I mean, I'd be down with that. So, so there's like mechanics in place where they could do that sort of thing, but we're kind of getting away from the subject at hand. And I mean, I, I mentioned a few of those things that I think are kind of underdeveloped where it's like, Oh, I'd like to see what's going on with that. Um, Hopefully that answers your question, White Hand, but we are kind of running out of time here, so I do need to sort of wrap it up. Do you guys have anything else to add on that one? No, I think I talked enough. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. As for Lore Watch, if you guys are interested, if you like Lore Watch and you'd like to continue supporting Lore Watch, uh, Audible has actually given the listeners of Blizzard Watch and Lore Watch a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service and also kind of support us at the same time. Um, as far as Audible goes, a lot of the books that we were discussing today, including Storm Rage, including, I think, did we talk about Wolfheart? I think we were talking about Wolfheart because we were talking about Maiev. Yeah, we talked about Wolfheart because we talked about Maiev, yeah. Right. A bunch, a bunch of the books that we've discussed on today's show and on other shows are available as audiobooks on Audible, and you can use those with your free 30-day trial. So it's something worth checking out. Um, you can sign up through blizzardwatch.com slash audible for your free 30-day trial and pick up your book and have a lot of fun with that and support us at the same time. And we thank you if you'd like to check that out. As for emails, if you have any emails for Lorewatch, please send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Make sure you put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know what show it's intended for. And yeah, that's about it. Um, Final thoughts. Rossi, anything? No, I think I'm good this week. I think I talked enough. (laughs) (laughs) 
we got a lot of chatter out of the way. <laughs> uh, Joe, anything from you? Not really. I mean, just aside from I really would like to see some of those older quests, some of the ones that were underdeveloped or, or just never finished, come back. There's plenty of time, guys. Let's, There's plenty let's do of this. Time. Let's make it happen. I want. I just want to see them utilize the Caverns of Time again. I think that that would be super fun, and I miss going to Tenaris. That was my favorite reason to go to Tenaris, honestly. All right. Uh, thank you very much for listening, you guys, and we will see you in two weeks. Mm-hmm.